Welcome to WFUV's What's What. It's Thursday, June 9th. What's What is a daily podcast that explores current events, culture, news, and hot topic issues in New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. And includes features and interviews exclusively from WFUV. I'm Madison Colombo. I'm Nicoletta Papavasilakis. Coming up, we'll have some features and interviews from WFUV reporters. But now, Madison and I are here to check today's headlines for you. Well, after decades, Penn Station is getting a facelift. Governors Hochul and Murphy, along with Mayor Adams, joined forces to announce the overdue renovations. The project will cost $7 billion, and Hochul says it's meant to restore New Yorkers' pride and feeling of safety in the space. The entire second floor will be demolished to turn it into a one-floor train hall. These renovations are coming just in time because gas prices in New York have hit another record, $5 a gallon. New Jersey already surpassed that milestone, sitting at $5.03, with Connecticut not far behind at $4.95. New York recently got rid of its gas tax to try and alleviate the pain at the pump, but some analysts still believe the average gas price could reach $6 by the end of the summer. They say the Fed waited too long to tackle inflation. So, Nicoletta, the first hearing of the Capitol riot is tonight at 8 p.m. That's right, Madison. The hearing is set for prime time and will be highly televised. It's supposed to feature witness testimony and video footage from the day. That includes over 1,000 interviews conducted with people from the siege over the course of a series of hearings which are set to last into July. As summer flights ramp up, two men have decided to take the journey less traveled. Longtime friends Damian Brown and Fergus Farrell are voyaging from New York City to their homeland of Galway, Ireland, in a rowboat. That's over 3,000 miles across the Atlantic. That's right, Nicoletta. And they want to do it all under the world record time of 55 days and 13 hours. An ambitious goal, but Brown and Farrell are well prepared. They've been training for two years. Oh, yeah. And their rowboat was made in England, tailored specifically for their journey. It's equipped with high-tech and solar panels to ensure smooth sailing. Their game plan is to alternate two-hour shifts of rowing and two hours of napping. Sounds like an exhausting trip. I know. But the Voyagers will be fueling with 10,000 calories worth of freeze-dried fruit per day. They're casting off tomorrow. There have been some recent developments in the R. Kelly case. Yeah, Madison. Federal prosecutors in New York now say the R&B singer deserves to be in prison for more than 25 years. In September, Kelly was convicted of racketeering, bribery, sexual exploitation of a child, and sex trafficking. Prosecutors made their decision after witnessing the lack of remorse he expressed for these crimes. Kelly's expected to be sentenced in New York June 29th. Now, I'm a big fan of Toni Morrison's book, The Bluest Eye, but I was surprised to find out that it's one of the nation's top banned books. The American Library Association tracks 729 challenges to 1,597 books. That's more than double from 2019. But the New York Public Library is trying to combat these bans and challenges. WFUV's Christina Lulich sat down with Kathleen Regalhaub to talk about the New York Public Library's Banned Books Challenge, their most recent effort in making these books more accessible. Today I'm sitting down with Kathleen Regalhaub, the director of e-reading at New York Public Library, to talk about the New York City Banned Books Challenge. Thank you, Kathleen, for sitting down with me today. Thank you for having me. Tell me more about why New York City's three public library systems launched the Banned Book Challenge now. The Banned Book Challenge is just the latest way that the city's public libraries are standing up to book bans. This effort is in direct conflict with our mission, which is to ensure free and open access to knowledge and information. 
And so, Kathleen, the American Library Association had announced that in 2021, there was an unprecedented number of challenges to school, library and university materials. Why would you say the number of challenged books has doubled since 2019? In New York City, we're not seeing the same number of challenges, but we recognize that libraries and and people in communities across the country um, are facing some of these challenges. We want to be supportive um, and, and build awareness so that folks in those communities and librarians across the country can respond to these challenges. And that's our goal, is that we want to stand by our mission and regardless of why people are, are banning these books or, or challenging these books, um, show them that the best way to deal with some of this, some of things that make you feel uncomfortable are to read about them. So I think that is, that is our goal is to make them available, um, to help people explore them for themselves and really stick with the mission of what a library is. I wanted to talk about Melinda Lowe's Last Night of the Telegraph Club because it's the only title from the list of banned books that's available with no weights on the free e-reader app. What makes this book an important one to read? So this book, I think, is important because it really, um, it, it's, it touches on many of the different themes um, for books that are being banned. Uh, It is a young adult novel. And unfortunately, um, young adult novels are some of the most targeted books. Um, It is a book that focuses on race and LGBTQ themes. So unfortunately, it it puts it in the target for a lot of the the book bans. And, um, you know, it's a it won the National Book Award. Uh, It is it is a book that we think um, people probably would would enjoy reading. But we wanted to make this book available. We think it is an important book and and really is representative of the different themes that are being challenged. A lot of the books that have been challenged or banned touch on topics like LGBTQ plus issues, religion and history. So how is opening access for people to read about topics like these develop a greater understanding and empathy for others? So I think books are a very safe way for people to explore topics that they may not understand or they may feel uncomfortable with. You can read about something and then share a discussion with someone else about it. So we think it's a great, safe way to explore topics that are, again, maybe make you feel uncomfortable, maybe have been in the news and you don't know a lot about. That was Kathleen Regal-Help, the director of e-reading at the New York Public Library. I'm Christina Lulich, WFUV News. And in sports, a chaotic NBA finals begins to roll on. Ryan Gregoire has everything on Game 3 and more from across the world of sports. That's right, as Game 3 between the Boston Celtics and Golden State Warriors commenced last night with the Celtics taking a 2-1 series lead. The Celtics, who are now two wins away from their 18th championship, were in control for most of this one, thanks to 17 first-quarter points by Jalen Brown. While Boston was relatively in front for most of the game, the Warriors had a dominant third quarter to get back into it. Behind Steph Curry's 15-point quarter and 7 points on one possession, the Warriors took a quick lead that was instantly neutralized. Boston held Golden State to just 11 points in the fourth quarter as they'll prepare to take a 3-1 series lead back at home Friday night. Shifting over to baseball, as we saw a rare occurrence for both New York teams, a loss on the same night. The Yankees were outmatched 8-1, by the Minnesota Twins as Nestor Cortez gave up four runs in a start for the first time this year. The bats were unable to do anything as Chris Archer 
rock down the Yankees' offense. As for the Mets, they played an uncompetitive one late night in San Diego, dropping it 13-2 and have been outscored this series 20-2. The starting pitching has regressed, and with Pete Alonso and Starlin Marte dealing with injuries, the Amazons are going to have to find some offense somewhere else. In the world of golf, the LIV tournament and the PGA Tour get underway this afternoon. The LIV, which is a direct competitor towards the PGA Tour, has made headwaves the last week, prying some of golf's biggest talents, including Phil Mickelson and Dustin Johnson. That resulted in a suspension of those two and every player participating in the LIV from further PGA events. Lastly, a big one on the ice tonight, as the New York Rangers to keep their no-quit-in-NY mantra alive in decisive Game 5. After dropping both games in Tampa Bay, the Rangers will return home to try to regain control of the series. Puck drops at 8 p.m. as the Rangers look to avoid their first home loss since the first game of the playoffs. With WFUV Sports, I'm Ryan Gregware. Thanks, Ryan. I'll have to check out that game. Recently, singer and songwriter Daryl Hall was a guest on Cavalcade with WFUV host Paul Cavalcante. WFUV's Robin Shannon sat down with Paul to get the highlights from his talk with one half of Hall & Oates. So recently, Daryl Hall visited Cavalcade with WFUV's Paul Cavalcante. So, Paul, take us back a bit. What are the two important points in Daryl Hall's career arc? Well, I would say it begins with his association with John Oates, a guy that, you know, he was roommates with when they were in their 20s. They met at Temple University. They're both Philadelphia guys, and their love for, you know, soul music certainly comes out of that. And then when they started making records together, the arranger... Arif Martin really opened up a whole new sonic landscape for them, and they were off to a brilliant career. And then in his solo and collaborative life, uh, branching out with other artists, including the progressive rock guitarist Robert Fripp of King Crimson, they collaborated on a couple of projects, then Dave Stewart of Eurythmics, and nowadays Todd Rundgren is touring with him and has appeared in a couple of episodes of, you know, Daryl's House. So... He's amenable to working with many others. It's not just a duo act. And I think that's the point of him doing a solo tour is to say, hey, you know, I really do have a very broad portfolio musically. And when you talk to him, what did he say was going on in Daryl's house? Well, the solo tour is really the focus now when he settles down uh, into it again. He'll do more of the same. He'll invite guests and he'll sing, you know, old Hall & Oates songs. He'll sing his own solo stuff, uh, do some covers. Uh, He has been promoting a collection of his solo material, which includes some performances from Daryl's house that have never been out as audio-only things. They were only released into the, uh, you know, the YouTube sphere. And one of the standouts, for example, is his version of the Gladys Knight and the Pip song, Neither One of Us. To hear a man sing it and to hear the way he does it as just a solo voice is really remarkable. He connects with that period of music in a big way. And why do you believe musicians like Daryl Hall and even John Holtz, but in this particular case, since you interviewed him, Daryl Hall has had such longevity in the music business? Well, I I think we could say that it's a combination of talent, drive, originality, and adaptability. So it's understanding what you've got, how to be true to yourself, and then how to keep pushing it forward. And think about the evolution that he's done through the years. There was a period of time when Hall & Oates were kind of like, you know, a like like a, a millennial campy thing, and he's transcended that in a big way. 
by just saying, hey, look, you know, the musical value here and the and the power, the generational crossover of these songs, they are really enduring songs. They're standard songs of another time, you know, so um, he's he's totally up for that. And were there any surprises in your interview with Darrell Hall? I didn't realize that he restores historic homes. This is a guy who has a very strong aesthetic sensibility and he's very intelligent and very well read and he likes to adopt homes of different architectural styles from different eras and bring them back to spec and when we did our Zoom interview he was in his townhouse in London. Mm. So he's really getting around. <laughs> that was WFUV's Robin Shannon speaking with host Paul Cavalcante. His show Cavalcade can be heard every Sunday night from 6 to 9 p.m. on 90.7 WFUV. Well, that's our show for today. I'm Madison Colombo. And I'm Nicoletta Papavasilakis. Check back with us tomorrow for more news, music, culture, and sports. And tell your friends so they can find WFUV's What's What at WFUVnews.org or wherever you get your podcasts.